I'm Jason Van Metting. And I'm Ksenia Chmutana. Welcome to Disasters Deconstructed Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this special episode of Disasters Deconstructed. Hey, Jason. Hey, Ksenia. How's it going? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? All right. Well, yeah, so it's a very special episode today, and I think this is the furthest in terms of time difference, because we've got some amazing guests for you today. So we've got Samantha Montano, who's in Hawaii at the moment. Hi, Sam. Hi. And we've got Wes Chick, who's in Japan. Hey, Wes. Hello. So 19 hours of time difference between all of us. Uh, what is it? 6 a.m. for Wes, 10 p.m. for me? And Se- normal time for people. In- oh, 7 a.m. Fine. You had a late. See, yeah. we're so generous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so welcome. Thank you so much for chatting to us. And, um, well, as probably some of you may have guessed already, we're going to talk about something very topical today, um, and that is COVID-19. Yay. <laughs> And and this is and this is the point at which Wes starts coughing. <laughs> no, there's a slightly higher than zero percent chance that I might have it, but we'll just hope it's a cold. I hope so. We Wes. do hope it's a cold. Get better. Yeah. Yes, well, thank you. I mean, I'm I'm calling in from Gainesville, Florida, and everything's kind of got shut down here at the university, more or less. We moved all our classes online. Um, well, I, I moved them online a few days ago, but everybody has to by Monday. And it seems like all the events are getting shut down and um, students are moving off campus. And they told us that um, probably another couple of days is when the incubation period for the students that came back from spring break will hit us. So everyone's wow. kind of unsure what's going to happen. Yeah. So your spring break's just just finishing. Would you we're, finishing? we're a week after. We're a week after. Oh, so wow. it'll be 10 days on the 15th, I think. Yeah. Yep. You know, New Orleans right now is just, what is it, two weeks after Mardi Gras. And so everyone's kind of waiting to see if that was a thing. Because all of these people are kind of anecdotally reporting uh, feeling like, like garbage after Mardi Gras, which is not unusual. Yeah. But there are people who... Uh, <laughs> Hard to people, identify a source. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there are, there are people who just kept saying like they didn't feel well and people were going to the hospital and being told they had like walking pneumonia and stuff. So everyone now is kind of wondering, like, was 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 it going around at Mardi Gras? Like, I don't know. Well, and probably all four of us have been on on Twitter quite a bit in the last few days, and <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> understatement of the year, Jason. Yeah, you don't say. <laughs> I think a lot of us. It's a problem. Get, a lot of us get our our coronavirus news from Samantha. So maybe you want to. Oh dear. Give us some some thoughts that about what the last okay. what have the last few what have the last few days been like when you realize that everybody's <laughs> looking to you for news. I hate it. Um, no. Um, well, I think everybody is just looking for news right now that they can trust. I've yeah. been very careful about what I've been posting, but um, there's just so much misinformation and just general confusion going on right now that you know I think everybody is just trying to find any place for good information that they can. Yeah. Well, I think the the timing of this for the U.S. is interesting in in terms of the debate about universal health care. 
because it's kind of it's it's very topical with the democratic primaries and so that's kind of something that's struck me is we're already talking about medicare for all universal health care and um this is kind of highlighting the way in which the the u.s healthcare system is really not serving people i mean like i find this absolutely insane and i think you know we've I, I, Jason, I've discussed this before. I I don't understand how it's possible not to have national healthcare system. You know, I have never lived in a country that doesn't have national healthcare system, and you know, NHS is on its knees. I mean, the budget cuts have been there for quite a long time now, um, and of course now Johnson is sort of praising NHS and of all the efforts, but still everyone has access to like everything that we need, right? So I mean, I can call 111 and get the advice and people will come and test me, like should I need to? That's nice to have. I mean, yeah, it, it's interesting, you know, in America, like there's, if you're a sick person without resources, this is kind of how it normally works for you, right? It's just like now all of a sudden everyone has to think about what, what we keep trying to make yeah. them think about the rest of yeah. the time, it's which crazy. is, yeah, it's very possible in America to be very, very sick and have uh, no, nothing you can do about it, right? That's a, that's a normal state of life for, for millions of Americans, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so so I think, you know, we can we've been yelling about the system being insane for a while, but now people are having to like come face to face with that. What's it like over in Japan, Wes? Um, well, it's interesting because we were kind of experiencing this earlier, right? We kind of hit this a little bit earlier. Uh, and I live in Kyoto, which has um, the story of the last decade in Kyoto has been the the increase of uh, large group tours from China, right? Because the Chinese um, visa procedures changed a while back. And so it became uh -huh. easier for the kind of emerging Chinese middle class to travel. Uh, and so... We have, uh, and Kyoto is, you know, really close. So we have lots of large group tours uh, from China and Kyoto. And those um, were stopped uh, pretty quickly because a tour bus driver had uh, coronavirus. And, you know, Kyoto has just been a different city for the last two weeks. It's a lot like it was when I used to live there a decade ago, right? There's um, just not many tourists. It's kind of dead. Uh, and, you know, uh, the prime minister, Abe, uh, kind of unilaterally decided to cancel school. And no one's sure if that was the, a really good decision, uh, a bad decision, but it was very sudden. Um, and so that's been a huge, a huge difference for everyone. Uh, and everyone's been kind of scrambling to figure out, you know, what to do with kids. Uh, where, you know, I've been taking my eight-year-old to work with me. Um, and then, but my nieces, but their parents both work at companies and can't take their kids to work. So we had our niece for a week staying with us and everyone in the neighborhood is just kind of scrambling to figure out what to do, what to do with the kids. So it's been a kind of weird two weeks in Japan. And, you know, I was, I'm doing field work right now. I was taking the Shinkansen, the bullet train up here on Monday and it's just empty. The trains yeah. just are wow. empty, which is very, very strange uh, feeling in Japan. It wasn't empty. Uh, I should say from Kyoto to Tokyo, it was pe people were taking it, but it wasn't the same feeling it usually is on like a Sunday afternoon, which is where yeah. I went. It wasn't a lot of businessmen traveling. 
-hmm. and then from Tokyo up to Sendai, there was maybe three people on my whole train car. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine that. It's kind of in Japan, you know, so few people. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. And, it, you know, it, it it's one of those very strange things, like, you know, if you've ever worked in a disaster area that you'll find strange, is it's kind of, you feel this kind of sense of freedom because you're like, oh, there aren't people around. But then you think about the reasons why people aren't around. And it's like, well, this is not good at all. This is probably yeah. really bad. And I don't know, like, how, I think everyone's asking this, I don't know economically how long this is feasible to keep up because um, uh -huh. I'm in, Minami Sanriku right now, which is kind of having the ninth anniversary of the tsunami. Uh, and the whole idea with Minami Sanriku was, well, we're going to um, kind of build around having tourism as a way to bring back the economy, which was already in decline before the tsunami. And I'm here now and there's just nobody here and people all canceled their trips. And this is a small town, 10,000 people, um, and no one's coming here. So I really don't know how, and this is replicated like across Japan. So uh, economically, the next few months are going to be really, really hard. Sam, what's happening with traveling in the U.S.? Because you've just traveled from Nebraska to Hawaii, right? Um, I mean, is it still okay to travel around the States? Well, I don't know. It might have been a bad decision. <laughs> uh, we'll find out. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I didn't have any problems while I was traveling. I know a lot of picture, or a lot of people are posting pictures of like empty planes flying in and out of cities across the U.S. Both of my flights were completely full, which didn't necessarily make me feel great. But, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm in Honolulu right now. I've never been here before, so I don't exactly have anything to compare it to. But I've been talking to, like, some Uber drivers and other people from here who've said that, you know, definitely there's less people here than normal, uh, particularly given that it's around spring break time. Um, but... Uh, I'm supposed to be flying back to Omaha on Saturday night, so fingers crossed that that happens. Uh, we'll see. I mean, like this whole flight banning, um, I, I I find it quite interesting, you know, as as an action point, right? Because like I think it's a good decision, but it also is a very interesting signal of how it's um, like them against us again, because they are coming and infecting us, right? Right. For is this in uh, American politics or British politics as well? Well, I think it's general. Well, British, we're not banning anything. We're Boris Johnson told us today that you know many you're gonna lose many of the loved ones. <laughs> the whole country said really. Great. He said that. It, yeah, it was like wow. it was in the news, and so he recommended those over seventy not to take cruise liners, um, and you know be prepared that you will lose many of the lo loved ones. And everyone's wow. like, great. <laughs> Thank you for that. Wow. Well, I mean, yeah, this is that's the hard thing with this uh, in American and Japanese context is that uh, it really does matter who is in control, right? Because if you have people who are not opposed to, you know, people crossing borders saying, hey, we really need to um, be careful about traveling now. It's very different than having people who base their kind of whole political platform on wanting to close borders saying, okay, maybe you shouldn't travel now, right? Yeah. It's a very different different thing. Uh, and so yeah. I think in America, a lot of people on the left are, are very suspicious about any of these measures because we know where they're coming from. Right. Yeah. Um, and, <clears throat> and, you know, I really don't know, is, is it a smart idea to uh, shut down travel to Europe right now? I mean, may, maybe, but the virus is already in America. Right. So there's also, if you've yeah. been following an effort on by a lot of, of uh, Republican Congress people, a very intentional effort to either call this the Wuhan virus or the, the Chinese flu. Yes, right? yes. And it's yeah. like, it's so 
obvious what they're doing. It's so obvious. But when they are called mm -hmm. on it, they just say, well, isn't it from China? Isn't it from Wuhan, right? Like all the pictures that we see, right? They're like, even in Italy, I, I think all of us had a go at it at some point, right? They're all pictures of like Europe, of Asian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the New York Times even did, they, they said, um, the flu hits Manhattan and the picture was from Queens, but it was a, of like a Chinese, ethnically Chinese neighborhood in Queens. Yeah. It's like how you have to go out of your way to do that, right? There's no accidental way to do that. I was going to ask um, all of you guys, something that really hasn't been discussed much is the impact that this that this pandemic may have on the, the global poor, because generally we've been looking at this in countries that are highly developed. Um, and and so, yeah, it's it's kind of frightening to think of what it might look like in places that don't have the infrastructure or um, systems to even test, let alone deal with it. Yeah, I mean, how, how will we know, right? That's the thing I worry about. Like, how, how will we know? Like, how are we measuring that? Um, you know, like a lot of, as, as you know, of your research disasters, lots of really bad things happen in the developing world that we don't really even have ways to count, right? Yeah. So, you know, I'm wondering how it's even being measured. And I also think about, you know, the capacity of the international community to even respond in those countries where, you know, historically other countries have stepped in to help, you know, I don't, are we in the position to be doing that right now? I, I don't know what our resources and our capacity look like. Like, yeah, and honestly, it's probably not high on the agenda for many of our leaders right now to help yeah, other countries. Not. Right. And, and kind of in, in corollary to that, like I, people have been talking about this too. You've probably noticed um, like incarcerated populations in America, mm. right? you know, uh, lots of times, you know, America has a, an overwhelmingly high um, population of incarcerated people and, you know, sanitation is not great in those situations. And it's, you know, lots of people sitting around inside together all day using the same facilities all day. Uh, so I don't know about that either. And we know, as well, that a lot of those uh, prisons don't have adequate health care or even an inclination to give people adequate health care. What are some of the main things, Samantha, that you've found are leading people to be misinformed in in on, in social media in particular? Is, is there any narratives that are are harmful that are flying around? Um. Yeah, I think that I I don't know that there is like single narratives that are necessarily a problem. I think it's just the general sense of confusion and a general sense of not knowing who to trust. Um, and so I think, you know, that's helping to explain some of the behavior I would suspect that we're seeing where like people are rushing out to buy certain items and not other items and kind of like how, uh, how those actions are evolving. I think it's just stemming from like just general misinformation. And I don't, I, I don't think a lot of that is intentional. 
I think that, you know, news outlets are talking to one person who says one thing and they talk to somebody else who says the complete opposite. And who do you trust at this point, particularly in talking to folks at the, in the federal government? I mean, it is genuinely confusing for even me as somebody who is an expert in this area to even work out what's true and what's not. Um, and so I don't, you know, how can we expect the public to be figuring this out? Um, you know, even things like the mask, which I think has been like pretty clear messaging at this point that you should not be going out to buy masks. I was talking to my brother who's in college yesterday and I had even been talking to him. He still had not heard that we weren't, that he didn't need to wear a mask. Like, and he's been online. It just hadn't come across what he was looking at. And so I especially think with folks that aren't necessarily sitting down and like intentionally looking at the news, but just kind of watching what's coming across their feed, that that information isn't necessarily getting out there in the way that ideally we would need it to. I guess it doesn't help that we have such confusing messaging coming from the government also, right? Mm. Um, yeah, but even just like the list of preparedness items that news, different news outlets, especially local outlets, were putting out. I mean, my interpretation from reading through some of them across the country is that they had just pulled the preparedness list that they usually use for earthquakes or hurricanes or whatever right. and just slap coronavirus on top of the article. And so, you know, people rushing out to buy water or like other items that you don't, you know, you may not necessarily need because we have power and running water still. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, I don't, I don't know what happened there. I don't know how that happened, but, but, you know, I think we're seeing the repercussions of that, at least. You know, talking of panic buying, um, so my favorite news story came out today in the Daily Mail. So that is the kind of quintessential British panic buying. So, you know, we've been really panicking about baked beans here and like blue rolls all what? weekend, right? Everybody. <laughs> yeah, this nation's favorite baked beans, you know. Um, I've just, I've ordered a crate of wine. Um, you know, so I'll be just fine. Come over. But so the Daily Mail story today, basically about panic buying goes like this. Event driver gets 300 pound fine after being caught with his van a ton overweight thanks to all the stockpile toilet rolls inside (laughs) (laughs) this is great (laughs) like in japan right now it's like very hard to find toilet paper but you know it's one of those things that no one can really explain why like why are people panic buying toilet paper no one's sure but they are uh i think you know a lot of this is based on like weird cultural memories and experiences of times when there were shortages, when people just think, well, I'm going to get that thing that I didn't have then. Right. Uh, and it's also strange, like in the, in the same week, I saw a story in Japan about, you know, in Japan, we have all the, the, the washlet toilets, like the really nice uh, uh-huh. su- super toilets, right. That have like bidets and stuff on them. So there's a story in the newspaper about that, like how oh, J- Japanese toilets are the best. And then about uh, everywhere being sold out of toilet paper the same week. It's like, <laughs> which is it? Pick, I don't I don't understand. Yeah, but that's like a really good example of something that started in one place in the world. Everyone saw pictures on it. It turned into right. kind mm-hmm. of a joke. But then people didn't know if they should be taking it seriously. Right, 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 and right. And it's viral. Yeah. 
you know, and I think for myself too, like I grew up in Florida, so my kind of idea of preparedness is hurricane stuff, right? Yeah. And so even if I know better, that's my immediate thought is, is you know, is that, but I don't know, aside from a complete societal breakdown, I don't know why water would be in short supply in Kyoto. Like that doesn't right, make sense, right? right? Uh, I kind of trace that one back. I saw one rumor going back probably a week or two now that, that, that everybody would be so sick that nobody could go into like run water facilities or something, which I, 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 doubt again, that. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think we're good on that, but, uh, I think that was the origin from that, and then also because it was on some of those lists that local media were putting out. Right, right. And during a hurricane, it makes sense because you do often lose water for, you know, a week or so, right? Maybe, you know, and you know, I've lived the last eight years in New Orleans, like you lose water on a daily basis, depending on the weather. So, (laughs) um, but like in this circumstance, like I don't, I don't know why you would need, why you would need it. It seems kind of out there, but you know, I remember after the the tsunami, like um, in Kyoto, we weren't particularly affected at all, but the stores were still selling out of stuff that people in the affected areas didn't have because people were watching the news and hearing about people not having stuff and then just going out and buying it. So I remember very clearly, like a week after the tsunami, I was, um, I had gone to the gym and I usually went across the street to the convenience store and got like a bottle of water. And I went across and like all the water was gone and uh, not to be stereotypical, but all the Japanese grandmas were in there just buying all the water because they were watching news reports from Tohoku and people didn't have water, you know, because the supply chains were broken down up here, but they weren't in Kyoto. And so people were having this fear that somehow water was not going to be available across the country. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, to this point in an ideal situation, we would have leadership coming from somebody to dissuade those fears to have much clearer messaging about what specific actions people need to be taking. I mean, just the like preparedness related messaging in general for this has been pretty rough going, I I think, from my perspective Mm -hmm. in the US, like telling people you need two weeks of food in their house, like you, you need to explain to them why they need those supplies. And you also need to explain that this is generic advice for the average person, but that we all have different needs, different risks, different resources to actually be able to meet these requests that we have. And there, I mean, there really hasn't been any of that. Yeah. Uh, And about preparedness, I'm going to tell you my favorite preparedness story. And uh, I think it's okay to use this person's name. When I was... uh, when I was in grad school, uh, I studied under George Haddow, who used to be deputy director of FEMA under Clinton. Deputy director, I think, during the James Lee Witt FEMA years, right? The glory years. Yeah. Um, and he told us a story in class that I always tell to my classes that I think is representative. He said, um, even when he was deputy director of FEMA, uh, he had his kind of preparedness um, bag or box or whatever down in the basement with cash in it and food and all that stuff. But, you know, when he he and his wife would run out of something in the kitchen, they would go downstairs and take something out of that and use it. Right. Or when he didn't have cash in his wallet, he would go get some out of the the preparedness box. Right. Mm. And like after a bit, he would notice like we don't really have a preparedness box anymore. (laughs) I think that like, you know, even if you are even if you're the most knowledgeable person, the most prepared person. Right. You still don't. It's not something there's a perfect Mm. thing you can assemble that's always going to be right. You know what I mean? It, It really depends on the circumstances and what's happening. And it, you know, it, it's hard. And I think also, you know, if you are a person or a family in a situation where you don't have, 
kind of guaranteed amounts of money coming in a lot and you don't have a lot of space, it's really hard to do this stuff too, because like, you know, uh, you don't have a place to stockpile things and you can't think months ahead and prepare stuff. We have a hard time, if not impossible time, getting people to have three days of food and water in their houses just right. on a regular basis. And now all of a sudden we're expecting them to have two weeks. Two weeks and obviously people possible. are making like, you know, financial changes to try and make that happen, certainly. But, you know, there's a large segment of our country that are not able to do this. Right. And so, you know, I, I do hope and wish I was seeing a bit more coverage of uh, their experience right now and also hearing some more ways where those folks are going to be kind of taken care of over the span of the next two weeks. And I'll also just point out, we keep using this two week timing here, but uh-huh. I am also having a hard time not seeing this as being much longer than two weeks. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that's another thing to kind of keep in mind as we're seeing these recommendations. Well, I, yeah, I, I don't see, yeah, two weeks seems very, very uh, insanely hopeful to me. I don't know how this wraps up in two weeks. And even if, like, the last case of illness came in in two weeks, the repercussions are here now, right? Like, we're going to have a weird, I, I think through the summertime, we're going to have very strange effects from this rippling effect. Thinking about all of these systemic problems that we talk about as disaster researchers, um, ways that people are, you know, systemically made vulnerable by our decisions about how society is structured, that's just really going to come to the fore over these next weeks and months as people stop having access to their job, right? Or their kids can't go to school or whatever, you know, all of these things are going to become so much more visible and um, the ways in which our society is ill, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, isn't that, to go, to go back to uh, the founding of all of this, isn't that what Kai Erickson's point in Everything in His Path is that, uh, that you expose mm-hmm. the society, the disaster exposes the society, you know, in, in a lot of ways. And it's been kind of glaring in Japan um, to see like how much uh, there's an abs- uh, assumption that that um, women stay home and watch the kids. Like in, in almost every political decision, it seems like that's been an assumption that that's how people live now, is that uh, that men have kind of stable jobs they go to and women stay home and watch the kids. And so you can just say schools are all closed and then the problem takes care of itself, right? Uh, like all, all of these things that are kind of there in the background noise of society, they're just assumptions. You all of a sudden have to like ask about them and see like, oh, that's not how it works. Lots yeah. of women are outside the home. Yeah. There are lots of single mothers in Japan, right? Yeah. yeah. But you know what kind of worries me about this as well? And because I'm, I'm guessing in the UK, I, I don't know. So schools haven't been closed yet. Um, but I guess, oh, really? wow. you know, no. So the, as of Monday, university, some universities, so we are, for example, mm-hmm. moving on to online teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so the schools, I guess, will fall eventually. But, you know, I was just thinking about it like earlier today, um, as we were talking about something else. There are lots of children in poverty in the UK. So 
the only time they get hot meal, nutritious meal, is at school because they have yeah. food vouchers, right? So the moment the schools are closed, yeah. um, these children will not have that nutritious meal because their families simply cannot afford that. Um, so, so then what are we supposed to do, right? Did you? And I'm guessing you guys saw, Sam, you probably saw this, the, the story about why New York City schools can't close or have dual yeah. closing. Yeah. Because it's like, what, 100,000 or so? There's like a huge amount of kids yeah, who are homeless. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Oh man! Who are, who are school kids who are homeless, right? And so, if they close the school, it doesn't mean there's nowhere for them to go. Yeah. And it's like, man, that seems. I mean, I think we we all know this. We're preaching to the choir, but like, that's one of those vulnerabilities. Like, maybe you should address that before this happens, right? Totally, you know? totally. <laughs> yeah, there's some big questions to ask about um, U.S. society for sure, but. Around the world, I think every every place has its own questions to ask it in the wake of, of this. Apart from Russia. <laughs> Tell us about Russia. <laughs> oh my God, we're doing great. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, honestly, it's so okay. So I don't I don't like read Russian news, right? I stepped away from them about 10 years ago because <laughs> I just realized that uh, for my own you know, sanity, uh, I just cannot do that anymore. Um, but today I did, you know, in preparation for like for this conversation. I know, right? For for once. <laughs> well, so anyhow, like in Russia, the number of people reported with coronavirus are like only thirty-four, which is extremely low, given that we have a massive border with China. You know, I right. grew up there. Like, I mean, my yeah. mom's still there, right? My brother is still there. Um, but so what Russian news are kind of saying? There are four stories, you know, four threads about coronavirus is. Um, that like story number one is that Russia acted um, super efficiently when it came to uh, to coronavirus, and they kind of did because like I know you know my mom was telling me that the border was closed. They closed it at the end of January, uh, so you literally couldn't take you know a bus um, over the river from Russia to China, and the bus because it's cold, right? There's ice. ice. Uh, so all the trains were stopped, and that stuff like that and everyone who was coming back from Russia, you know, they were only allowed to come at a certain time, and they were getting tested. So, ta-da, you know, we, we kind of stopped coronavirus. It didn't get to Russia. Um, and of course, now there are like flight bans from certain countries. But then there are a couple of other sort of narratives in the news saying that um, one narrative is saying that um, actually the tests that Russians are using are maybe pretty useless. So Russia is using their own tests for coronavirus. It's oh. like this, you know, special pen. Mm -hmm. So they don't know whether they're like working well or not. And then there is a third story, which actually says that like people are simply not reporting. And again, I know, you know, I'm Russian, we do self-medicate. So if something happens, you just kind of go and drink some vodka, right? Like kind of stereotypical, but we, we do self-medicate. We have like a lot of medicine, every single person would have lots of like medicine right. at home. Um, so people probably just don't report, right? They don't go to the doctor and they just think, oh, I'll be okay. And a few days later, they may be uh, whilst kind of spreading the virus. But then on top of everything else, and I, I don't know if, like, I haven't really seen much on BBC about it, but of course, some of you may know that Putin is kind of changing the constitution, right? Um, uh, which which was proposed by Valentina Tereshkova, who is the first woman in space. Um, so oh, I'm, really? wow. abs I'm absolutely, I'm in denial. I've got her, like, picture uh, on my wall in my office. I don't know what to oh, do with no. myself anymore. <laughs> I know, right? Um so anyhow, uh, the constitution is changing, but there will be a people's vote on the 22nd of April. 
because you know it's people's decisions whether the constitution should be changed or not and if the constitution changes putin can run for another well he can run for president as many times as he wants um so he will probably stop being president in like 2036 so he will be in power for as long as ivan the the terrible uh-huh. uh, for like 36 years which is longer than stalin um so they're not going to change the date of the people's vote um so you know i think they're just gonna like try and keep the numbers as low as possible so there isn't pandemic right in russia um to get the vote done um and putin's comment on the whole coronavirus was uh, and i quote is that you know the oil prices have been fluctuating and the virus um is creating additional risks and challenges for the country but we will be able to go through this challenging period gracefully and our economy will only be getting stronger Ta-da. absolutely that is the most important thing forget about everyone else so you know you guys can all worry russia is just fine <laughs> Good to hear. Uh, on a political note, can I give you uh, two very small political stories I just uh-huh. read before we came on here from the U.S.? Uh, is that one, the S- Sanders campaign has suspended all canvassing activities. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so, really? Yeah. So, you know, that's one thing that uh, the Sanders campaign has been somewhat effective at, or at least aggressive at, is is canvassing. Uh, for those who don't know, as you know, knocking door to door for your candidate. So yeah, it yeah. suspended that, which is, you know, uh, a, a, probably a smart decision. Um and then, what was I saying? Oh, also, I was just reading that the Sanders campaign in Michigan, a state that, that Sanders just lost in the primary, that the kind of people who worked on the campaign there have reorganized towards like uh, doing mutual aid. And so they're using the structure of the campaign to provide for students who suddenly find they don't have a school, uh, oh, college cool. students, and also to coordinate oh, rides for people and do grocery shopping for people who can't shop. So... Uh, it's one of those really positive things you see of how how people are doing yeah. mutual aid during this, which which is hard to figure out how to do mutual aid in a pandemic, right? Where you don't want to spread mm-hmm. spread the virus. Yeah, I'm glad to. I hadn't seen that story, um, but I'm glad to hear that because I have felt like that's been one kind of narrative that's been missing a little bit in media. Is that you know this is definitely a scenario where we should be seeing a lot of mutual aid and like emergence happening um and i'm sure it is happening but i don't know that that's being kind of filtered out um so Mm -hmm. hopefully there'll be more positive stories like that moving forward it is interesting to you know to your point think about how that looks what that looks like with so many people kind of stuck inside but and i was gonna ask you sam i wonder if you know like it seems like i don't know if the american media is like that great at reporting on mutual aid like they seem to not want to see it during disasters right like we know the narrative is not that like when it's like the cajun navy or something people get really excited about it but when it's kind of uh and i do too uh you know i I, (laughs) my politics are completely different from the cajun navy but i like what they do but uh uh but you know i i don't know if the the media is like looking at that narrative at all or ready ready to look at it yeah no they're i mean they're definitely not ready to look at it um i don't you know, I guess, I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess mainstream media doesn't usually report on those, but even, like some of those like smaller news outlets and even like local news outlets, I feel like do kind of a better job of that. And yeah. I feel like I haven't really seen too much of that. I may have just missed it, but. Well, actually, um, I, 
I did an interview with like a, a national outlet on Friday, last Friday, not this Friday, uh, and talked about that. But the interview is pre-recorded and it hasn't been aired yet. And so I'm wondering, like, I feel like I feel like all the information I gave is going to be completely out of date by the time it ran. But, yeah. you know, they at least asked me to like what does mutual look, aid look like during a, a pandemic? And I think my answer was, I don't know. That's a good question. I guess we'll see. Right. So I I think that's kind of where we are with it. I think a lot of it just kind of moves online. I mean, you know, even if people aren't leaving their houses to go across town or go to the store, I still think that, you know, people are going to still be going to check in on their neighbors or whatnot. Also, just staying inside of your house for two full weeks. I don't think we're talking enough about how psychologically challenging that is. I have, I was thinking about it the other day. I think the longest I've ever stayed in my house without truly going outside was for like a three-day blizzard last year, and I thought I was going to lose it. So yeah. I think that, you know, as much as obviously we want people to follow instructions and stay inside, I think that there is kind of more locally still going to be that kind of coming together that happens. I think, you know, the way it manifests is obviously going to look different, but I still, you know, I think it'll happen. But yeah, I think it'll take on a slightly different form. Just anecdotally, uh, my neighborhood in Kyoto had all the kids out in the park yesterday, right? Because, yeah. like, uh, mainly, like, you know, same with my family, like, the moms in general are at home with the kids, and you can't stay in a house with kids all day. Like, are you going crazy? <laughs> so they, um, you know, they took all the kids to the park in our, our neighborhood. Uh, so things like that are going on. So, you know, even that's the other thing. Even if the kids aren't at school, the kids are still hanging out together. Like, my, my kids had three play dates this week. So. Yeah, like I'm just trying, as you were guys talking, I was trying to sort of see what's happening in the UK, if there's any, any narrative at all mutual aid. And I couldn't find anything at all. But you know what? what is really worrying now is that like, as I was kind of doing searching, there are so many pop-up ad adverts now that are telling me about funeral plans. Oh. <laughs> like, should I take it as a hint? I don't know. Great. Uh, Thank you, Google. Whoa. It probably just has to do with the stuff that you search. Like, you probably just have to search morbid <laughs> stuff all the time. And so it's like, well, this person yeah, clearly like, doesn't want to be I kind here. of hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was watching earlier on, um, Bernie Sanders had a press conference about, about coronavirus. And um, I don't know if any of you guys saw it. But I saw that it happen. I haven't been able to watch it yet. I, I thought it was great because he was really hammering home some of these root cause issues that we talk about so much and how they were coming to the surface. And he was talking about um, how we need you know unemployment payments for gig workers, tip workers, independent contractors. Um, he was talking about SNAP and Meals on Wheels and... Um, also talking about the possibility of evictions and um, utility shutoffs and all these things that are down the line for us, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's one thing I've been watching closely is that there's there's different cities which have been saying they're going to stop evictions, right? Which is yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, so New Orleans announced today the Sewage and Water Board. Uh, my enemies, the Sewage and Water Board, are uh, 
I'm not, I, they, they insist I owe them $700 even though I live in Japan. But anyway, um, uh, they... So bitter was. I'm very... I have, well, if you've ever lived in New Orleans, they're, they're the enemy of all New Orleanians. Um, but I digress. Uh, but they're, they're going to stop doing uh, water shutoffs uh, during this, which is great. That's good. Yeah. Uh, the water will shut itself off. It's New Orleans. But uh, they're going to stop doing shutoffs. <laughs> Um, but people are pushing to get the mayor to say, also, please stop doing evictions during this, right? Right. Wow. Well, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting time moving forward. I'm expecting my my kids' schools are going to be shut next week, probably. So, man, let's, let's well, welcome to it. My, I'll tell you the brief story. My eight year old. So we didn't know. I heard like 30 minutes before the schools got shut down in Japan, like something's going to happen. Schools are shutting down. So we yeah. turned on the TV. Right when we turned on the TV, uh, Abe, Prime Minister Abe was making the announcement. Um, schools are, but he, he can't, uh, legally, he can't shut the schools down. He can request that they be shut down. So mm-hmm. he requested that the schools all shut down. And my eight-year-old was like, what does that mean? Does that mean there's like no school? And I'm like, I think that means there's no school. And he started crying because this is the, <laughs> oh, this is no. the Japanese school year ends in March yeah. uh, and begins again in April. So it meant for all of the kids in Japan, that's the end of their school year, right? It ended a month early. Um, and so, you know, he's just going second grade to third grade, so it's not that big a deal, but all of the kids who are going to like graduate high school, graduate junior high school, graduate college, that just all got shut down, um, like, like just that day. So it's been a very strange, uh, strange month. Well, I think we better wrap it up. It's been really fascinating. And thank you both for your time. Thank you so much. No problem. Yeah. Thanks. Maybe before we go, you guys should tell our listeners where they can find you if they don't um, already know you. Please don't find me. <laughs> don't find you. We'll find your vir- virtual presence. How about that? Uh, you mean you want us to give like our like where they can find us on social media yes, or like where that, my that office would be good. Is? No, no uh, social media works. <laughs> my office is directly between uh, the Golden Pavilion and Rohanji, uh next to the Family Mart. Um, <laughs> On social media, I'm uh, Wes in Japan. I had made a promise in my last media uh, appearance that since I was talking about disasters and gave that as my account, I would try to do less uh, just random garbage, uh, weird left Twitter <laughs> posting and more disaster <laughs> posting. So I'll, I'll try to clean up my act. Uh, I'm at Wes in Japan. I love I love your weird left Twitter posting. <laughs> well, I love it too, but I also realize that it doesn't translate to everybody. That's true. That's true. <laughs> No, real. You've got to keep it up. Like you've got to keep it going. Because that is like okay, literally twist, the thing. You twist, know, it's a little, uh, the only to. thing that, that we know you for. Yeah. Uh, twist. No, the arm, only thing right? I wake up to. You know? oh, <laughs> like no. it, it cheers me up or depresses so me completely. Much. Oh no! This is so much pressure. Okay, for you. Usually depresses me. Thank uh, you, Russ. <laughs> all right. How about you, Samantha? You can find me on Twitter at Sam L Montano M O N T A N O. And she has real content. You should follow her instead. Oh, God. So thank you all for tuning in. And we'll be back on Monday with a normal episode. Thanks, Wes and Samantha, so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks.